0: From the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina, I'm Jonathan Alexander. And I'm
1: Jonas Pope IV.
0: And you're listening to Sports Now. All right, welcome back to Sports Now. I'm Jonathan Alexander here with Jonas Pope IV. And we're here with a returning guest. Uh, His name is Andrew Carter. And uh, he's responsible for our most listened to podcast. Oh my goodness.
1: so that means we need that's to have Andrew on every week. <laughs> I know. That's basically basic what you're telling me. The wow. ratings
2: go up when we have Andrew. Boy, Carr. I don't. I'm not sure what to what to make of that. Uh, they love you. Sounds like you guys need some real help. Yeah, they love if you. That's man. the case. Yeah. But uh, it's an honor to be on with y'all. Thank you for having me back.
0: <laughs> We're glad to have you back. So uh, today's podcast, uh, we'll talk about one of your most recent stories last week. The NCAA committee's report uh, that is chaired by Condoleezza Rice came out. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of analyzed it. Uh, first, but before we get into your story, can you talk about the background of how this came about? Um, of course, the FBI is investigating uh, corruption in college basketball. And this com- and Mark Emmert, the NCAA... President, yep. so I'm just can you talk a little more about the background?
2: Yeah, that? so you know the background on it is basically that you know late last September, uh, it was kind of a day that reverberated across the country in the world of college basketball. A pretty shocking turn of events, where you had the uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office out of New York, the Southern District of New York, um, basically announcing this uh, sting operation that the FBI had been undertaking for the past year or two, I'm actually, I can't remember the actual, the time frame of the investigation, Um, but you had 10 people who were arrested uh, in the world of college basketball. You had four assistant coaches uh, at different programs around the country, you had a Adidas executive, Jim Gatto, Um, you had financial advisors, you had agents, Uh, and the legal implications are still a little bit dicey. You know, if you talk with some legal experts out there, there are some people who uh, don't really believe that there's much of a case in terms of law breaking. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's been some confusion as to the strength of the Fed's case. But one thing unquestionably that it did was it kind of you know, it uncovered in black and white uh, for everyone to see what had long been assumed. Uh, that being that there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on behind the scenes in college basketball recruiting among these shoe companies, among agents, among financial advisors. You have people you know, trying to induce prospects in their families, giving them money, uh, loans, this and that to try to either get a kid to sign with you if you're an agent or a financial advisor or if you are a school, try to get a kid to commit to your school. Um, you know, so that happened in late September. Uh, ten people arrested, like I said, sent shockwaves throughout the country, even though, you know, people who cover this stuff, you know, like I covered college basketball for ten years and... You know, we always hear these stories, mm-hmm. right? But it's you know it's really difficult to actually get at it and report it. And I remember one observation I had when this whole thing broke. Uh, you know, it was just that hey, you know, this really isn't that surprising, people. <laughs> uh, like now it's proven. You know, we have the evidence of it through the uh, you know through the form of this FBI investigation, and there's documents and there's wiretaps and this and that. Um, but we kind of knew that this had been going on for a long time. But from a media point of view, you know, covering it, try to get at it, it's really, really difficult. Uh, And it's like an FBI investigation with wiretaps, with subpoena power to really get a hold of it and kind of show once and for all that this is how it works. So on the one hand, you had people be like, well, yeah, okay, what what else is new? This is kind of business as usual in college basketball. But then, you know, the official reaction from NCAA headquarters in Indianapolis was one of just – like shock and disbelief, and Mark Emmert came out with these very powerful statements. He, of course, is the NCAA president. He was saying things like, this has no place in the game, (laughs) even though it's been a part of the game forever. Uh, Yeah, but saying all this stuff like, this has no place in in college sports, and we need to clean this up, and we have to do something. Um, And so that's when he basically formed this uh, commission chaired by Condoleezza Rice. Uh, It was a 14-person commission Uh, kind of Lisa Rice again is the chairwoman, I should say of it Um, but it was made up of a mix of different people you had university presidents you had people kind of on the periphery of college basketball Grant Hill was on it obviously a former All-American at Duke Um, you know so you had a, a bunch of people on there trying to figure out kind of how to address these problems that emerged in this FBI investigation the whole notion of you know should prospects be allowed to receive money from an agent, maybe should that be above board? Um, should that be something maybe that they consider allowing and making legal? Uh, if you were to do that, it would open up an opportunity to kind of you know, legalize things and have things be known you know instead of having this kind of these backroom dealings so that was one possibility people thought might happen uh, or they might consider. Um, you know, they considered a bunch of different things though. Um, the notion of paying players more formally from the, from the schools, called the amateurism model, uh, the, the one and done model, even though NCAA has no control over one and done. But basically this commission was supposed to really look at college basketball, uh, all the problems surrounding it, everything that emerged in this FBI investigation, and they were supposed to come up with recommendations to kind of improve the game and fix it Mm -hmm. and address these issues. And so that's what came out uh, last Wednesday. It was a a long-awaited report, these recommendations. And, you know, honestly, I think it fell flat. (laughs) So why is that? Why do you think it fell flat? There was a
0: lot of criticism, first of all.
2: Yeah, there there was. Um, Well, to me, like, you know, one of the biggest things that came out of it was something that, like, the NCAA doesn't even have control over. I mean, the commission recommended that there be an end to this one-and-done rule, Uh, but that's the NBA's rule, you know, obviously, and they they acknowledge that, but basically they called on the NBA and the NBA Players Association to to put a stop to this one-and-done rule, um, to open it up so that, you know, the really talented, ultra-special kids who are prospects, you know, like a Marvin Bagley, um, you know, like an Anthony Davis several years back, those guys can go straight to the NBA if they choose. Um, you know, There's some support for that. Uh, but again, that's not anything that Mark Emmert or anyone in the NCAA, any of its members can address. I mean, mm-hmm. that's gonna be something that the NBA has to act on. So it was interesting to me that you know, among things that the NCAA could do on its own to improve things or address some of the stuff that we've all been talking about for months and months, uh, they really kind of just punted, like they didn't take advantage <laughs> of the opportunity. I mean, uh, it would have been interesting if they would have revamped rule or recommended at the end of the day revamp rules on what kids can receive when they're in high school. Yeah. Like, you know, you look at the Dennis Smith situation at NC State, for example, and that's kind of like a two-pronged thing. You have, uh, you know, the one instance allegedly, according to the FBI, where you had uh, Adidas work with an NC State coach, an unnamed coach, about funneling money to Dennis Smith's father in order to have Dennis Smith remain committed to NC State, so that's one thing. But then he was also accused of allegedly taking loans from, I believe it was this Christian Dawkins character who worked with an agent. Um, So that was another aspect of it. But to me, you know, like, you talk about the world Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the the free market, and we're a capitalistic society here in America. Uh, And really, college athletics is the only arena In which it's problematic for somebody to receive their market value. Yeah, you know, like if you're a Dennis Smith or if you're a Marvin Bagley or whomever, if you're a a top ten or even like a top fifty kid, and you, uh, and if if you or a member of your family, even has a meal with an agent,
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah,
2: then that's something that like is a big deal, and they have to figure out, well, did you uh, did you pay for it? had a $15 meal, that he'd give the, did you give the guy $15? And it becomes like this thing, and it's so silly. And that's on the low end, and on the high end, obviously, you had some cases where kids and their families allegedly received tens of thousands of dollars, and that's different than a meal, of course. But still, like, the question remains, like, if somebody wants to try to hire – if somebody wants to try to market their services to you and give you money, like, why is that a problem? Yeah. Like, why do we have – that outlawed in the world of NCAA rules. It's just kind of craziness in this day and age. And it creates this, you know, this underworld economy that is always going to exist until you address it by either making these opportunities legal or giving kids different pathways. You know, like one thing I'll applaud the Rice Commission on uh, doing is that it did recommend that kids have the opportunity to work with agents mm-hmm. at a much earlier point in their their careers or whatever, like it's weird to call a high school kid having a career. <laughs> um, but like you know, if these recommendations pass, one thing that will be allowed is again, you go back to like a Dennis Smith. He would be allowed to work with an NCAA-certified agent, yeah, and go through you know the evaluation process in terms of hey, do I consider turning pro out of high school if the NBA repeals that rule, um, or is it best that I go to college? So I think you yeah, there's some uh, there's a movement about to allow kids to have more insight which i think is a good thing Um, but yeah to me the report and the recommendations really didn't get at the heart of what we've been talking about for a long time yeah so you know just just like you were saying like in a normal
0: world you know a prodigy playing the piano somebody wanted to give money (laughs) that's a normal thing right (laughs) for sure you know like a computer whiz you
2: know google can give that kid money or and hire him at 16 or whatever. Like, you know, the newspapers, journalism, right? If you're a hotshot journalism student at uh, Leesville Road High School, the New York Times can hire you and pay you $100,000 a year if they want. Of course, that would never happen in the world of newspapers. Yeah, (laughs) We're speaking facetiously here. But that's legal. Like, that can happen. And in any other aspect of society, that can happen. But for some reason, it's problematic in the world of NCAA sports. And it goes back to this notion that, like, NCAA wants all the money for itself yeah it's not interesting in sharing any parts of the pie
0: so I mean it kind of seems like if you you know if the recommendations or if you if you did away with the amateurism rules that doesn't allow players to make money off their likeness uh you know if you did away none of this would be an issue because you know agents would be allowed to pay players or shoe companies would
2: be allowed to to pay players
0: and um
2: right that was another thing too like we heard for months that the commission uh, might take up the whole name, image, and likeness issue, uh, which is basically something that Ed O'Bannon raised. Former UCLA basketball star, he has a court case that's going through the court system, legal system right now, um, and that was you know that kind of originated with the whole video game thing. There was a video game in 1995. Uh, I think maybe O'Bannon was on the cover. I don't know. Would. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had that game by the way.
1: Me too. Pretty good game. Oh man, I missed the college <laughs> games. So.
2: Yeah, I loved that game back <laughs> in the day when I was a kid. Um, but yeah so that case came about when O'Bannon years down the road I think it was I can't remember 14 or 15 whenever he started that lawsuit maybe even 2016 but I feel like it's been around longer than that you know basically sued and said hey you know I mean I'm part of this video game I was in college I had a scholarship but I wasn't making any money off of this multi-million dollar business that's not right Uh, and so the Commission had the power to kind of at least make recommendations about whether an athlete should be able to profit off his name, image, and likeness. And they completely just said, ah, we're not going to address that. We're going to wait and see what happens with this legal case, which I thought was a little bit cowardly, uh, honestly. But, yeah, there's different ideas about handle that. I mean, some people favor the Olympic model uh, in which an athlete can profit from endorsement deals. Then you take the whole, you know, the paying the players idea out of the school's hands. They don't have to worry about it. It's not coming out of their pocket. Yeah. That's brilliant, actually. You know, but then... You know, the the opponents of that, Bubba Cunningham, the UNC athletic director, is one of the opponents of that idea. And I talked with him a week or two ago about why he does not favor it. And he raised a good point. Like, his argument uh, is basically like if you have the endorsement model, um, then basically it opens things up to where, you know, you're going to have, say, for instance, like the local car companies in different college towns competing for prospects by giving them more money. To which I say that kind of exists now. (laughs) Yeah. Like with the shoe companies. A little bit. With the shoe companies, with illicit payments from boosters. And also the whole idea that, like, there's this even playing field in college sports, it's always been ludicrous to me. Yeah. It's not. It's not even at all. Yeah, like, you know, Duke has things in its men's basketball program that NC Central doesn't have. Mm -hmm. Like tradition, facilities, uh, a coach that makes $10 million a year, Yeah, all that. Just to name name a few things. Yeah, Yeah. like, you know, I mean, look at UNC. (laughs) The UNC has a 21,000-seat arena with a big weight room and locker rooms, all this stuff. Like, there is no equality now.
0: Yeah, what did did North Carolina Central just
1: get? Um, Gatorade Station? Oh, they got a fielding station. We can get bars and (laughs) get Gatorade bars and little little, uh, smoothies between class as opposed to a training table. Or, Do they yeah. have a training table? No. Yeah, see, that's like a yeah.
2: great example. And I remember like one thing that really stuck <laughs> out to me, speaking of stuff like that, is, you know, we all watched the NCAA tournament with the uh, the UMBC moment against Virginia. And what struck me about that game is there was a guy, I can't remember the circumstances, um, but there was a guy on the bench who – Maybe he was dehydrated or something. And they didn't have any, like, state-of-the-art solution or whatever. They basically gave him, like, a salt lick type thing or a salt tablet yeah, or whatever. And it's, like, a very crude, primitive way of addressing whatever that kid was going through. And that's because they just don't have, they don't have the resources. Yeah. And so to suggest it, like, oh, well, if you make this name, image, and likeness thing, you open that up and, uh, you know, kids can get endorsement deals, and that's going to make things unequal. It's not equal now. No.
1: That's a very good point. <laughs> No. I, don't, I, don't think, I, I really don't think a lot of people even look at it like that, but that's, like, that's an excellent point. It's not even them.
2: Yeah. No, it's not at all, and that's something that I've thought about for a long time because, I mean, the NCAA, I think, operates under two fallacies. One is that it's okay not to compensate kids because they're getting a real education. Well, okay. In some instances, they are, maybe, but there's been many cases that have proven that that's not the case. A UNC situation mm-hmm. where these really questionable classes, and it's like, you know, what – kind of educational experience are you actually offering athletes? That's one example. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say with the other one, but that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's a glaring one. Yeah, And then it's uh, – it'll come back to me.
0: I mean, you know, Michigan had their, their situation.
2: Michigan, Auburn. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you go on and on down the road, and it's just clear that, like, yeah, there's an opportunity to get an education, number one, if you're equipped. If you arrive mm-hmm. in college with the necessary – Tools to study I mean I don't you know in some cases yeah I blame the kids because sure you have some instances where guys don't want to be there they don't want to put in the work but there are cases where the kids do want to be there and they do want to put in the work and they're ill-equipped to do it or they don't get the help or they don't have time or they want to major in something that they really can't major in because they have to practice their sport for 40 hours a week yeah or be in film study or meet with the coach or this and that so you know to me the whole thing is it's just kind of a racket and you know i don't see anything that this commission put forth uh changing really much about any of this like the, you know the core issues at the heart of what we were talking about for months and months went unaddressed and they made it all about protecting the status quo protecting the collegiate model as i call it when really we should probably be considering blowing up the collegiate model yeah i
1: mean it's being it's, it's like dated yeah i remember watching really a, a documentary about NCAA, I can't remember the name of it. It on Netflix, but it just talked about how dated it was. It was made way before, you know, ages and money and stuff came into play. It might have been
2: the documentary that Dan Cain was in. Yeah.
1: what's the name of it?
2: I can't remember, but it was good. Yeah. It was was very good. Went to a private screening of it back in the day. Uh,
0: Yeah, I remember that, too. I I watched it, too. But, like, being that it was formed by the NCAA, you know, uh, influenced by the NCAA, this committee, you kind of wonder would they had even considered doing away with the amateurism because the NCAA surely doesn't want. uh, No, they don't want to deal with that. Yeah.
2: Like, because the NCAA is a okay with things. Yeah. Especially. As much money as they're making. Yeah, from the financial point of view, the NCAA is in good shape. You know, the NCAA tournament, while college basketball might not be as popular as it was years ago, uh, it's still a billion-dollar business. That one month in March, that brings in a ton of money. Uh, And so, yeah, like I think there's just an overall, you know, when something bad happens like this FBI stuff with the investigation when people are getting arrested, it's easy to wave your arm and say, oh, this is terrible and we have to do something about it. But when push comes to shove, I think the people in charge, the people that make decisions are okay with the system. Mm -hmm. And they want to maintain it because I feel like they think, you know, if you open up the opportunity for kids to make money off their name, image, and likeness, the people at the top who are in control of things, I think they view that as the start of a slippery slope where what 's going to happen next, or you know are you going to have a a minimum income requirement type thing or a minimum like salary wage that you have to pay kids yeah. you know, they 're worrying about and so I think that 's kind of what really keeps a lid on this stuff is that they don 't want to open up anything where guys are getting compensated, yeah and that is why. <laughs> Now, it was interesting that they recommended the end of the one-and-done thing, which personally I think kids should have the opportunity to go out of high school if they're ready. Uh, now, naturally, there's going to be some guys who think they're ready, but they're not, and they're going to make bad decisions, and that's a shame. Um, but Marvin Bagley certainly could have gotten drafted this year, Anthony Davis years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's been For a sure. bunch of guys. Yeah. Look at the, I can't even remember some of the guys that Duke has had in recent years because they've been there yeah. and gone so quickly, but like a, a Jaleel Okafor. Yeah a few years back, would have been drafted, um, like a lot of these kids. So if you make that the case, then you know, I think that's a good thing. But they're hoping that if that's the law, then it will just kind of solve the problem. Yeah. That like, oh, well, if Marvin Bagley just goes pro to of high school, then we don't have to worry about Nike hooking his family up with all this money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think there's a hope on behalf of the commission that that would solve a lot of these issues. And it would solve some of them in some cases, like, naturally, if some kids can go pro out of high school, you don't have to worry about whether they took money from an Asian or whatever. Um, but still, I mean, you know, like, a lot of these kids who are even in the top 100 are wrapped up in shady stuff. Yeah. Whether they want to or not. Because that's another thing that we learned through this whole thing is like, sometimes it's not even the kid asking for money. Kid might not even know. Like, I'm not convinced that Dennis Smith knew that he was up for grabs monetarily, or Mm -hmm. that he was, you know, people were bidding for his services. Mm -hmm. You can argue that he didn't know. That could have been something with his dad, Adidas and NC State. We don't know, like, what the kid knew or didn't know. Um, And, yeah, there's always going to be people trying to take advantage of these guys' talents, whether it's an agent, financial advisor, shoe company, and unless you figure out a way to actually really address the meat of that, I think it's just going to continue. Yeah. So I wonder,
0: you know, based on what you know of the Dennis Smith situation and uh, these recommendations, do you think the recommendations could have prevented a Dennis Smith incident uh, or what just what happened? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh,
2: not at all. Like, And that was the interesting thing that when this came out, like it, it just these recommendations didn't do anything to address this stuff. You know, it didn't do anything to address the possibility of an agent getting at anybody. You know, like, you can argue maybe that the, uh, the recommendations concerning penalties would be a deterrent. Mm-hmm. Especially, you know, for like the, the unnamed NC State coach, remember that was? Because mm-hmm. the commission did recommend that level one violations come with the possibility of a five-year postseason ban. That's significant. But at the same time too, you think about how this case emerged, you know, using Dennis Smith as an example, using this whole FBI investigation, it emerged through the FBI, which used wiretaps, subpoenas, all this stuff, like, and if they didn't do that, nobody would be any wiser for it, you know, we would all be like sitting around being like, oh, well, we can suspect that there's some shady stuff going on with Dennis Smith, Adidas, and NC State." But it would kind of end there because there's no way to prove it. Yeah. You know, like journalistically covering this stuff can be really frustrating because, you know, no one wants to talk about it on the record. No one really wants to provide documentation. It's tough to get documentation even if it's out there in existence. Like, even if there's some sort of a financial log transaction, this and that, like, how do you get it? Like, how do you get wire transfer, wire uh, transferring money over wire? Like, how do you get records of that? you know what I mean like so it took an FBI investigation for this to come out so to suggest that these new penalty measures would be a deterrent I'm not sure if I buy that just because it's so easy to hide this stuff like if you know what you're doing you're not going to get caught Mm -hmm. basically Um, you know so until they accept the fact that there's this whole you know secondary economy that exists because of these rules and this is what we need to do to address the problems that lead to the breaking of these rules then I don't think anything changes I mean I don't see anything in these recommendations that the committee made that would have stopped anything that happened allegedly at NC State or Louisville with the Brian Bowen situation uh, or Arizona. There was some stuff that allegedly that happened there. Like, I don't think this would have addressed or stopped any of those instances.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I, I do want to say that I reached out to the office of Condoleezza Rice and, and asked her to come on the podcast and they said, we regret that Dr. Rice will be unable to oblige, given a busy schedule of teaching and traveling commitments. Does she know who you guys are? Probably not. Apparently not, man. No. If
1: she's, uh, if hey, she's... I, mean, I like you, Andrew, but it probably would have crushed your numbers. If she's stiffing <laughs> you all on the
2: podcast, I yeah. can't believe
0: it. Yes, yeah, so I, I just want her to, because you know that was criticism, so I wanted her to. I
2: mean, Condoleezza, I've come on the podcast. So... Twice. Yeah, twice yeah. now. So at yeah. least, yeah. least you can do is come on once. Yeah, she, please, come on. <laughs> Does she know who we are? <laughs> Apparently not. Yeah.
1: Man,
0: this. that's surprising. Well, they did wish us the best in, in our future endeavors. So. Well, you know what?
2: That's nice of them though. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's very <laughs> kind of you. Yeah. Yeah, she probably would have done well numbers wise. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Andrew, that's all. But I you have can headline have. it, you can you can just kinda tease it like why Condoleezza Rice didn't join our podcast. Yeah. And then that's people will click on it to find out.
0: That's very true. Yeah, that's yeah. a good idea. I like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Andrew, uh, it's always a pleasure. We appreciate you always, guys. Thank you all for having me. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun.
2: Always, man. Please come back. I will. Just uh, invite me anytime.
0: Okay, so welcome back. Uh, This is Jonathan Alexander, and I am here with uh, another special guest. Uh, We have Dan Kane, uh, one of the News and Observers investigative reporters. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining me. Um, so the second part of today's podcast, uh, we'll talk about one of the, the important things, uh, the Condoleezza Rice or report or the NCAA committee's report, which is chaired by Condoleezza Rice, uh, one of the statements that was made, uh, and it has to do with the UNC scandal. So first, before I get into what, what those comments said or what the report said that related to that, I want to kind of ask you, Dan, you know, can you give me a little background information on the UNC scandal, um, you know, how it came about?
3: Yeah, uh, sure. I mean, uh, this was uh, really one of the most kind of bizarre, kind of amazing kind of cases of, you know, academic uh, uh, fraud you'll you'll ever see. I mean, it was... uh, Started roughly 18 years ago, uh, actually at 19, went on for 18 years, started in 1993, according to those, you know, authoritative investigation of the whole thing, which was done by uh, Kenneth Waste, uh, Weinstein, a uh, former top uh, U.S. justice official, and um, started with independent studies that uh, no longer had a professor tied to him. you know, it was just a secretary in the African 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 American studies department kind of took control of the things and uh, You know just started putting them out, you know herself um, She'd take the papers. Uh, she'd grade them uh, No interaction with the professor that went on for several years and then around 1999 um, As she became aware or was aware that there were you know limits on how many independent studies a student uh, could take Uh, You know, uh, um, this was something that was commonly known, you know, at at the university. Um, She starts taking lecture classes, or classes that look like lecture classes, and um, uh, turning them into these, you know, uh, no-show classes where, once again, you know, if you just wrote a paper turned it in, uh, you got a high grade. And she did the grading. She admitted that she really didn't read these things. And uh, so it went on that way for another several years. And um, when she retired in 2009, it looked like they'd stopped then. But then uh, counselors of the football team, um, athletic, uh, academic counselors of the football team, you know, went to her boss, her former boss, uh, the chairman of the department, Julius Nyangoro, and basically, you know, asked him to continue them, which he did for a few more years. And then in 2011, um, we happen to get a hold of a transcript of uh, one of those football players, you know, found this really unusual grade in a 400-level class. It was a B-plus, a 400-level class that he gets as a, a freshman. Actually, he's, he's, it's the summer before he starts his freshman year. Mm-hmm. This didn't make any sense. You know, how does somebody who's just showing up basically, you know, for football practice and they, and they put him in a class – You think he would have gone into some kind of introductory class instead? He's in a 400-level class. He gets a B plus, and then the rest of his academic record, while he was at university, didn't look, didn't show that he was capable of getting that kind of grade um, for that level of class that early in his academic career. Yeah. So you know, we wrote a story about it, and and it also tied into a couple other things that that we were aware of. Um, uh, one of which was you know, um, uh, exposed by some NC State fans. You know, looking at a paper another football player wrote. And the university launched this investigation um, that uh, ultimately showed that there were were these classes that weren't meeting, um, had little or no um, instruction. Uh, Professors whose names were on the grade rolls were saying, I didn't teach that class. I didn't know about that class. Uh, And ultimately, uh, it took years, really, to get to the bottom of this. Um, It wasn't until, really, uh, 2014 October 2014 with uh, Ken Weinstein's report that we really had um, a pretty uh, detailed in-depth look at, at you know how long this lasted um, how it started you know who was involved who knew and who didn't and that um, brought the NCAA to town mm-hmm. now I should say back in 2011 the NCAA was called in after we had reported um, about this unusual situation uh, but they did what looks like just a cursory review at that point You know the same the same investigators who were who dropped the hammer on the football program for? impermissible kind of perks to um, football players and some improper ex- extra help from a tutor um, They kind of they did a kind of a cursory look at this uh, Interviewed I'm trying to remember how many I think it was like maybe 16 people um, I think i pretty sure it was less than 20 people um, got a hold of some documentation that UNC gave them, but then just walked away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, uh, as more and more details showing the connection between athletics and this um, particular these these sort of funny classes um, uh, emerged, you know that prompted them to come back, and um, so uh, then began this this long stretch of. Notice, notice of allegations there were three sets of them. The last set was the strongest. It basically alleged uh, lack of institutional control um, and alleged uh, impermissible benefits and um, also um, you know went after um, the secretary um, Debbie Crowder and uh, the chairman for lack of cooperation and Missing um, uh, dragged on for quite a while. I mean really from like 2015 until August of, uh, 2017, which is when they had the hearing. And, uh, you know, we had, we had this, uh, we had this interesting situation where at the last minute, Debbie Crowder emerges and basically denies a lot of things that were in the Weinstein report. Um, you know, we had a hearing and then, and then the decision came out in October. Uh, basically the NCAA said, you know, they could not conclude, uh, that, uh, these violations took place. And their reasoning was really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. what they said was, well, look, You know, um, there were non-athletes who were in these classes, so we can't say that this was a a benefit strictly for athletes. Uh, And the other thing they said is that under the rules, the the schools get to make the call on academic fraud. And even though there was this evidence that UNC had admitted it was academic fraud to its accreditor, which put UNC on probation, when they came into the committee uh, for the hearing, they said it wasn't. They said the classes were legitimate. And so uh, the committee basically issued this sort of hands tied decision saying, you know, we just can't do anything. And there was a lot of uh, outcry about that. Uh, among those who uh, were very upset about what had happened was the Knight Commission on College Athletics, which, you know, tries to stand up for academic integrity uh, in, in sports, college sports. And um, a short time later, they recommended that. You got to fix this. You know, this is this is just a big loophole to let these schools, you know, make the call on something that, um, you know, uh, depending on what they tell you, um, could cost them plenty. You know, obviously they have a, you know, <laughs> something to gain or lose depending on how they characterize their academic affairs. And um, and then the second thing was they felt that the, this impermissible benefits um, bylaw, um, you know, wasn't working. And it too needed to be um, uh, reformed. And so, flash forward to last week, um, uh, Secret- uh, former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice and her uh, commission, you know, came out and, and basically endorsed what the, what the uh, Knight Commission had um, recommended. Um, yeah. They came out um, uh, they came out with uh, basically saying that. Um, the NCAA needs more needs more jurisdiction over academic matters and that this notion that, you know, a school can't be punished because, non you know, non-athletes also benefited, and I loved how they put benefited in quotes, yeah. um, uh, that needed to be changed. And, um, uh, and those are uh, pretty significant, you know, changes for the NCAA and the member schools. That's something that they will have to do. A lot of other recommendations in that report kind of point the, you know, point to the NBA having to do something or agents having to do something or the sneaker companies having to do something or the AAU teams having to do something. This one is all internal. This all looks at what we can do, being the NCAA and its member schools, and it'll be interesting to see as this moves forward whether or not, you know, the, 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 this this one clear thing where, uh, you know, it's all all can be handled within the NCAA and its members, whether they can do that. Yeah, so,
0: I mean, it was interesting. I guess when when they started this commission, um, there was this, the assumption that they were only addressing, um, you know, this corruption case that the FBI is investigating. But it was interesting that this uh, this line, and, and I'll read it exactly as it is, says the NCAA must have jurisdiction to address academic fraud and misconduct to the extent that it affects student-athletes' eligibility. Member institutions can no longer be permitted to defend a fraud or misconduct case on the grounds that all students, not just athletes, were permitted to benefit from that f- fraud or misconduct. So
3: basically, it is talking about the UNC scandal. Oh yeah, and and the and the report um, has a footnote in it in which you know they describe you know the case, uh, the infractions case with Carolina, and they very bluntly called them sham courses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and that was very
0: interesting. Do you know why they decided to address this?
3: Well, I think it – I um, I mean, obviously, you know, the Knight Commission, uh, I mean, it was literally two weeks after the decision came out. I think it was at the end of October um, when they had their uh, – you know, one of their – I think they beat twice a year. Uh, they had their fall meeting. They had Mark Emmert there, the NCAA president. He basically acknowledged that, you know, very, uh, very small – of people out there felt like this was a good decision. Um, he acknowledged that you know there there was a real problem here with um, you know these kinds of academic um, uh, scandals and how they would be um, uh, handled uh, fairly um, and, and judiciously and and so uh, two and two of the members on the Rice Commission are on the night. Uh, commission mm-hmm. and so you you kind of had a direct line there the chairs of the of the of the Knight Commission um, had sought to meet with um, uh, Condoleezza Rice and and the basketball Commission uh, And another may have had some input was uh, I'm talking about the Rice Commission is the Notre Dame president um, uh, Father Jenkins who um, was very upset that you know Notre Dame got whacked pretty hard over uh, an academic misconduct case at their school involving their football team and literally had a runner-up championship season vacated over that uh, while Carolina, you know, escaped you know, any kind of any kind of punishment for something that, you know, many, I mean, it was clear, it's far worse. Yeah. Far worse we have at Carolina. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, Dan, all very interesting stuff. I appreciate you joining me today, and uh, hopefully you could join me in the future. Well, I'm happy to. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's all we have for today. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jonathan Alexander. Jonas Pope before signing up